Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships XL editions, a special series of large format ships officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Enterprise D for 20% off the regular price with free shipping. For details and to order, visit st-starshipsxl.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 260, Firstborn. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week, we watch an episode of Star Trek, sifting through it for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, Firstborn, the one where Alexander tries to rid the Star Trek universe of Alexander. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first... A word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships XL editions. People ask for bigger ships, John. They ask for bigger ships. And you know what Eagle Moss did? What'd they do? They gave them bigger ships. Well, oh. they made bigger ships available to them. People actually still have to order them. It's not like, you know, it's woke up one day and it's like, oh, bigger ships. Just like I have. Right. A million dollars. I'm asking for a million... <clears throat> it's not yeah. quite like that. No. Fans ask for bigger ships, and, you know, that's what they get with the XL editions. These are, as we said before, officially authorized by CBS Studios. Uh, they come in from every corner of the Star Trek universe, all the TV series, all the movies, and that's from the uh, motion picture, uh, which, of course, is the first Star Trek movie, uh, all the way through beyond, and who knows if there's another one, uh, some Reservoir Targs maybe coming at us mm, at some point. Maybe. Um, something like that. Uh, then these will probably go beyond beyond. That's how committed Eagle Moss is. You know, Ken, just the other day, I was talking to somebody who is a builder of model ships, and I said, you know what I would like? I, I would like something in maybe like a one-to-one scale, uh, if you can do that. And he was like, no, no, I can't do that. But here's the thing, because we're dealing with a larger format of Eagle Moss ships in the XL editions, these ships are as close to screen accurate as Eagle Moss can get. And, uh, and did I mention they're big? They're not one-to-one scale. That would be ridiculous. That would be crazy. I think that would actually be huge. That, that would be, be where yeah. you don't have the closet space for it. I'm just saying, um, but these are actually some of the largest starships that Eagle Moss has ever put out, and each one is expertly crafted in rich detail. So the XL Edition ships are die-cast, they are hand-painted, and they come with the same in-depth magazines that you've heard us talk about and the special collector's stand, which you've heard me just be so effusive <laughs> about that thing. Because you know what I hate more than anything? I hate holes in my starships. I understand that. Although I will say, you talk about them so much, sometimes I think I'm just going to walk into the office one day and there's mm-hmm. just going to be a stand. Just, just, just a, a stand. table full of stands. Where's the ship? Oh, the, the ship's over there. Look at this stand, though. The stand <laughs> is amazing, isn't it? And I'll say, we may need to take you outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of ways that people can go about getting these ships. Uh, first of all, you can subscribe risk-free. And what happens then, of course, is you get ship after ship after ship. Now, it starts with the 8.5-inch XL Edition USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, home of such captains as Picard and Picard. Jellico. <laughs> Jellico. Yeah, it's, there's always room for Jellico. I do forget about him, don't I? <laughs> anyway, the NCC-1701D comes to you 20% off the retail price, plus you get free shipping. You also get three exclusive free gifts when you subscribe worth $100. That's part of your subscription. And, of course, you can cancel at any time. Additional ships arrive every other month for the same 20% off, and they also come in with free shipping. So that's one way you can go about getting these ships. What is another way, John? I have another option for you. You can buy just the ones you want. So you can pick and choose your favorite XL Editions ships online and pay the regular price. 
In addition to the Enterprise D, other XL editions now available include the original USS Enterprise NCC-1701, the Enterprise E from the Next Generation movies, and just recently added, the 22nd century's own Enterprise NX-01. So the choice is yours. Just visit st-starshipsxl.com and make it so. That's st-starshipsxl.com. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment. But first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, and yet another place to leave comments is missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, no matter where you leave those comments, we may well use them in an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn to Trivial Matters, John Champion's Trivia. Today's episode, Firstborn, was written by Mark Kalbfeld. Now, this is one of those spec scripts. Though Mark isn't a total novice, he had actually worked and uh, continued to work afterward, mostly in commercial production, that end of things. Uh, But this is one of his only professionally produced scripts for TV. Uh, except that Kalbfeld's script had very little resemblance to what we got here. <laughs> the original was about a Romulan ship from the future uh, where the Federation and the Empire were at peace, but it's a hoax and they're not from the future and there is no peace. But other than that, yeah, very close. It sounds yeah. like the exact same story. I don't even know what you're talking about. Totally close. Uh, so huh. the writing team collaborated, as they do. Uh, Jerry Taylor had hit upon the Alexander idea, and it was Joe Minoski who had been kinking around something with aging Alexander into an adult in a different storyline. So these disparate ideas came together to make this story. I got to say, that sounds cheap. And also, I really wish they had pursued that. <laughs> well, yeah, I think a lot of people maybe wish they had pursued that. Yeah, oh well. But they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> the teleplay here is by Rene Echeverria. And yeah, right, not Ronald D. Moore, kind of the, the keeper of the flame for those Klingon stories during this era. But uh, Ron pretty much gave Rene his blessing for this story and was happy with the way it turned out. It was directed by Jonathan West. Now, we saw him uh, directing TNG with Time's Arrow Part 2 and Realm of Fear. There will be more Jonathan West-directed stories on Deep Space Nine. A couple of deleted scenes to make note of here. Uh, you've got a, an extension uh, of a scene with Alexander, uh, Kemtar, and Worf in a corridor right before they get to the holodeck. And it's worth telling Alexander he needs to practice with his batleth. And it's just kind of, well, you won't get good unless you practice. So not really a need to have that. But there is another deleted scene that I really like, and I really wish that they had kept it in the episode. It's Worf and Deanna, because of course, and Worf is expressing his concerns and his regrets, and Deanna is telling him that he did okay, and snap, some people might think Worf isn't a true Klingon. She's got to sort of clue him into this. The Klingon standing there in the Federation uniform. So it's all about balance and finding your own path. Would have been a nice scene to have in this episode. Hmm. By the way, from a production note, I was really amused to read this little bit, that the operatic Klingon stuff was added later. So... The people battling it out in the festival who are singing as they're battling. Mm-hmm. So it, they were just sort of grunting and making Klingon noises, but they decided they needed something there. So they, they came up with the music after the fact, had the actors come back in and loop for the, the musical portion of that. My goodness, that would have been an incredibly, that would have been like as long as the fight. Yes, my goodness, that would have been as long as yeah. that fight if there hadn't been something operatic going on there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. So really cool. Good choice uh, on the production in that respect. Um, a lot of guest stars to talk about, a lot of returning guest stars to talk about. So we have Ricky Deshaun Collins as Eric, his final appearance here. Mm. We have Brian Bonsall, of course, as Alexander, his final appearance as the character Alexander. We have Armin Shimmerman as Quark. Quark. Now, Quark, hold on. Yeah. I've, I've been to a bar called Quark's, but I've never known why. You have. You know, you've seen Armin Shimmerman before. Yes, in, I have. In TNG. But I've seen him a couple of times, I want to say, in TNG. Yeah, yeah, you have. You have. But this is his only appearance as this mysterious Quark fellow. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it at all. Because there seemed to be like some familiarity. Yeah. Maybe it'll all make sense. It'll all make sense one day. Oh, maybe in a few months or years. Yep. <laughs> the Duras sisters are back. We have Barbara March as Lursa and Gwyneth Walsh as Betor. We also have Joel Sweeto playing Yogg, uh, and he appears on both Deep Space Nine and Voyager, which we'll arrive at in due time. In fact, he plays Gul Jassad in the pilot for Deep Space Nine, though this is the first time that we are meeting Joel here. We have Colin Mitchell playing Gorta, and his brother is James Cameron Mitchell. And this is Colin's only Trek appearance uh, in a career with a handful of acting roles. And finally, we have James Sloyan as Kemtar. Now, uh, there is more of James to come in Deep Space Nine and Voyager, but you may remember him in a standout role in Next Gen when he played Romulan Admiral Jarak in the episode The Defector, which, oddly enough, is the one about the Romulan, who is a defector. You know what would make a fantastic episode? If we gave Worf's son, Alexander, weapons. Prologue. Worf is agitated and nervous, practicing a speech about growing up, becoming a warrior. It's probably going to be a good one, too, but who's it for? Oh, yeah, the door's open and there's that kid, uh, short ridges on his head. Uh, name again? Yes, yes, it's Alexander, and he's in a heated water balloon fight with a schoolmate and lover of desserts, Eric. One of the water balloons lands on Worf, and it's time for a father-to-son serious talk. The first rite of ascension is coming up. When are you going to start acting like a warrior? Alexander's answer is not the one Worf wants to hear. Never. His mother told him he could do what he wants, and warrior life is really not for him. Act 1. In the most boring staff meeting that ever met in the conference room, Picard notices Worf's distraction. Can't blame him there, but it's Alexander's decision that's really eating away at Worf. Picard suggests a Klingon festival, which would put the kid in proximity of a bunch of other Klingons. It's only a short ride away, and nobody's doing anything else anyway, so... Road trip! The festival has everything. Live music, games, songs, demo swordplay. Wait, we're literally a turkey leg short of a Ren fair. Worf gets in on the ceremonial singing and Batleth demonstration. He's doing really well, but takes a dramatic fall so he can call Alexander into action. The kid does all right. He mock fights Molor, actually wounds the actor, it seems, which earns him a little praise from Worf. Now another actor steps up as Kaelas to defeat actor Molor. Seems like Alexander is really taken to the fun side of Klingon history. He excitedly finds Worf that night, eager to hang out with his new friends, and wants to return to the festival tomorrow. It's late, though. They'll have to call it a night. But on the way out, Worf and Alexander are surrounded by a gang of threatening-looking Klingons who are not part of the show. Act 2. The fight is pretty quick. Worf does his thing, and he has some assistance from a mysterious stranger who turns out to be Kemtar, sort of an old family friend, an advisor who was sent to protect Worf after rumors started flying about killing off members of the House of Mog. One of the attackers dropped a dagger. It has an inscription from the House of Duras. Remember our old friends, the sisters Lursa and Betor? Well, maybe they're up to something like trying to unseat Kern from the High Council. With some time aboard the Enterprise, Kemtar imposes upon Worf about Alexander. That boy may grow up to be the head of the House of Moog. You never know. Worf is like, yeah, about that. He may not do the whole Rite of Ascension thing. 
Kemtar wants to know if he can lend a hand, which Worf agrees. He leaves for the night after telling Alexander goodnight, and he empathizes a bit about Alexander being scared at what happened earlier. But hey, one day you might be a warrior yourself, and you won't need to feel afraid ever again. Act 3. Riker is doing his best to track down the Duras sisters, and he initiates a crossover program which brings up Quark on the view screen. Riker had won a bunch of valuable latinum last time he was at Deep Space Nine, name check, but he'll trade them in for information. Quark says he heard the sisters were heading to the Kala system to exploit a mine used by the Packleds because, you know, they're a bunch of Packleds. That's all Riker needs to set a course. End crossover program. As promised, Kemtar is going to help Alexander along to be a warrior, and he's cooked up a little something special in the holodeck, a recreation of the place where he and his father were attacked the other night. Insert two holodeck Klingons, and Worf dispatches one pretty easily, while Alexander is given some pointers on how to fell an enemy more than twice his size. He holds up pretty well, knocking his opponent to the ground, but Alexander gets a little freaked out and Kemtar demands that he finish him off. Maybe he's not cracked up for this whole warrior thing like he's been saying all along. Arriving at Kala 3, an away team finds no one left in the mine except one stranded soul, Gorta, a Dapterian who seems to have had a thing for the Duras sisters. But they left him with nothing. Agreeing to share what little information he has, the crew rescue Gorta and head off again to hopefully find the sisters. And ten forward later, Kemtar opens up to Worf a little more about Alexander. They share a bit of concern that the boy just isn't clued in to Klingon culture. He has, after all, been encouraged to find his own path from his half-human mother. So maybe Worf could send Alexander off to a school where he could be steeped in Klingon culture. Worf considers it for a moment, but he thinks Alexander is best off staying there on the Enterprise with him. Kemtar disagrees and even threatens to invoke an old Klingon rule. If he wanted to, he could take the boy by claiming that Worf is unfit to be his father. Act 4. Kemtar is trying so hard to break through with Alexander, telling him Klingon stories, practically begging him to leave his life on the Enterprise and go full Klingon. Alexander is steadfast, though. His life is here, not there, and he needs to decide for himself if he's going to be a warrior or not. Entering the Ophandi system, there's a Uridian freighter, but no sign of the Duras sisters. The captain of that freighter, Yogg, is a liar. He's got some magnesite ore, which the Duras sisters are after, but not a whole lot. Riker negotiates with him for it and has it beamed over. Just not onto the Enterprise, a little farther out into space. Then he asks Worf to blow it up. Uh, okay... And the explosion reveals a cloaked Klingon bird of prey. Oh, hello, dear us sisters. Riker confronts them right away with the accusation that they were behind the assassination attempt on Worf, which, of course, they deny. They beam over and are confronted with the evidence, that knife with their family crest on it. They deny that, too. Sure, it's their knife, but it was probably stolen or something. In any case, they had nothing to do with it. Kemtar claims more evidence, but they'll need to go to the Klingon homeworld to get it. He heads off to contact Kern. But the sisters point out something wrong with the evidence in front of them. The crest on the knife is their family, but one of the glyphs indicates a child. A child which doesn't exist yet. Yeah, Lursa is pregnant, but she just found out about that herself a few days ago and told no one but Betor. Worf and everyone else is super confused. He goes to find Kemtar and finds him standing in the doorway of Alexander's room with a disruptor drawn aiming at the kid. When Worf tackles him to the ground, Kemtar pleads with Worf, don't. He is Alexander. Act 5, wibbly wobbly timey wimey Kemtar is Alexander from 40 years in the future. He proves it by recounting what happened when his mother was killed years ago. Kemtar slash Alexander explains that he met a man who gave him the opportunity to travel back in time, and it was his intention to save Worf and himself from their fates. Alexander, you see, lobbies for peace in the future, for unification of the disparate Klingon houses. 
And at some point, Worf is assassinated in the Klingon council chamber. But Alexander thinks if only he had been a better warrior, he could have prevented all of that. He failed to change the past, and now he was going to erase himself from that past. Worf's reaction is, well, maybe not what you'd expect. He says he has seen that his son has his own destiny, and if Worf is to die, then he wants it to be an honorable death. They embrace, with Worf and his adult son saying they love each other. Kemtar has gone, and young Alexander is in the holodeck ready to train again. He asks his father about Kemtar, but Worf says that he had to go, and they may see each other again a long time from now. Alexander is ready to train again, but Worf says, you know what? There will be plenty of time for warrior training, but not now. The end. Seriously, Picard's going to let Worf recalibrate the weapons targeting system? <laughs> Did he not see Genesis? Never again. Never I again. I know, right? Yeah. And granted, he's not building a new targeting system. He's just recalibrating it. Mm-hmm. But still. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. Like, just every possible thing. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recalibrate this, this targeting system. We're going to recalibrate the weapons. Uh, uh, one of them uh, flies off on its own. And it goes really fast. And we <laughs> exactly. can't destroy it. And we yeah. have to go get it. Like, literally everything that could go wrong with that went wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, Picard is apparently just encouraging Worf to get back up on that horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. There <laughs> you go. There you go. I sense he's feeling bad about the fact that, you know... He nearly killed somebody in another system. Yeah. And then we had to go chase the thing. And then when we came back, everybody turned into, you know, different stuff. That yeah. wasn't his fault. Though. Whatever. I'm, and, I'm gonna... and, and none of those things ate each other. Uh, so. Right. Well, except, right. None of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That really would, I, you know, somebody mentioned that in the comments after we did that show. We'll get to this show. Calm down, everybody. We'll get to this show. <laughs> right, right. Somebody mentioned that, though, after that one. It's like, seriously, they should have been down like 300 people yeah, right? Right, right. in the next episode. It's like, oh, yeah, we had. So a lot of people turned into birds and a lot of other people turned into things that ate birds. Right. <laughs> Oh, God, I love it. Yeah. yeah. And yet, uh, we only know about the one guy who died, so yeah. things went well. Yeah. Um, all right, so letting Worf recalibrate the weapons targeting system, that's yeah. the first problem I have with this episode. Yeah. Uh, just from a structural standpoint. Sure. I'm not saying, you know, the whole episode. Uh, second thing I have a problem with, and I started to actually ask you what you make of Picard diverting the Enterprise so that one kid could learn more about his culture. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that even with like a thousand people on the Enterprise, there are actually eight to ten people on the Enterprise in any given week. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah. and I hope I hope you're sitting down. I am. I am. Uh, the Enterprise is not real. I know. I know. Right. Because then I started thinking, like, if if like every time something like this came up, it'd be like Picard's like. Uh, Captain's log, uh, we got to be at Vulcan next week for Dr. Salar's son's pun far retreat. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that. And then uh, week next, uh, Ro Laren wants us on Bajor for something to do with her cousin and some prophet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ferengi down in food services wants his kid to go to the Grand Nagus swap meet, which I'm not even sure is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a parent in every part of the 21st century, says Picard, a glorified shuttle driver for children. Oh, oh. Just Man. one thing after another. Okay, so now, wait, wait, remind me, uh, Dr. Salar. Dr. Yeah. Salar. Uh-huh. Yeah, she she doubled for Alexander's mother. Okay, okay. And and remind me again, uh, Ro Laren. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to many good things from Ro Laren. What do we have? Like three more episodes of TNG, four more episodes of TNG? Yeah, we're getting there. I'm expecting, I, I think she could be officer material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think right. something really good and right is going to happen with Roland. You bring up such a good point because, um, yeah, we're, we're going to divert. But, but Picard said, you know, the guys in astrometrics, they would love it. They would love to go around that nebula. We're just going to take the kid. Like, yeah, Picard is so antsy for something to do. And you'd think that he would take it upon himself. I'm going to go to some boring architectural dig that nobody else cares about. But no, Archaeological, he's gonna... not architectural dig. Did I say architectural? 
Yeah, he did. It's oh, fine. that's funny. Whatever. Okay, because well, there probably is architecture in the archaeology. Uh, yes, <laughs> but I mean, he's not—he's not an amateur architect. That'd be great. I totally did not realize I said that. That's no, it's uh, fine. That'd be, that'd be so cool though. Like, so like every time he, uh, so every time he goes on the holodeck now, he's just like building crap. Yes, yeah, but it's all like bad. Yeah. He's like, oh, I want you to come see the. Come see the gazebo I made, number one. <laughs> this is like, hilarious. Uh, this this uh, proves to you people who listen to the show, yeah, we, we don't edit. We don't edit it. It's just stayed in the show. See. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the question is, did the dolphins get a say? What do you mean? There's dolphins on board. Picard's ready to divert to take this kid to the, the Klingon rent fair. And the dolphins are like, could we go someplace that has an ocean? That You know... You make a very good point there, actually. Mm-hmm. They never go any place that has an ocean. I mean, there are oceans, but they never go to them. Nope. Yeah, not since the ambergris element, I think. Ooh. Have we actually seen an Enterprise go someplace specifically for the water? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good point. Uh, question for you. Were those gummy worms they were eating at the Klingon Run Fair? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> They certainly could have been. Yeah, they could have been. I found myself like, it's interesting. Like, so for Alexander, for all of his, I'm not Klingon. Mm -hmm. I'm as much human, if not more than I am Klingon. Like whatever that is, which I assume is like dried gach or something, you know, like Alexander just reaches over to it like it's popcorn. I I love that. It starts eating it. Yeah, it was a great piece of direction, actually, because it was such a casual exchange of Worf getting the stuff and then Alexander was reaching over without looking. It was a nice piece of direction. It's a fantastic kid moment. It's a fantastic father-son moment. Yep. I still was a little surprised that Alexander's going to shove whatever that is in his mouth. <laughs> right. Right. Um, also, when you're there, uh, Beverly should know better not to ask for translation right in the middle of the show. Yeah. I agree. I actually found myself wondering whether the Klingons would be cool with all the Federation people standing around. I know Klingons are in the Federation now, kind of. Yeah, they're, they're friendly. Mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They're part of, I mean, they're with, if not in, or whatever. But, like, would they be cool with people just standing around clapping at their, you know, right. at their gigantic, uh, their gigantic, you know, big, important festival? Mm-hmm. Other thing I wondered about, honestly, was how do universal translators work? It's interesting to me that you say that the opera, they went back and reshot that and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do we all have universal translators or is that something that's just like at the ship level? Because when they're like, oh, what's he saying? What's he saying? Yeah. I was thinking, shouldn't they actually be able to hear it? Right. Well, it, it kind of depends on the Star Trek you're watching. It, it really does. It really does. I'm sorry. The Star Trek you're watching, like which episode or, or which, which timeline? Which series? Yeah. Okay. Because it, all right. It, there are – Yeah. I mean, without getting into a lot of detail, it's used differently in different places. So, yeah. All right. Okay. But I'm just saying, I don't want to go to a movie with Beverly Crusher. Um, I I can't remember. Do you you usually watch at least one of your rewatches with uh, subtitles on? Uh, It depends. If I have to write the recap, I do. Otherwise, no. Okay. Because I I did watch uh, this with subtitles a couple of times. And uh, one of the Klingon words, because they're all there in the subtitles, was Kirok. With an apostrophe, yes. of course. And I, I am Kirok. I thought that was great. I don't know if that was on purpose. Little uh, little callback to TOS. Yeah, it was. Um, yes, you don't have to have subtitles up for that, by the way. Yeah, you can pretty much tell. I mean, it's just way obvious. Yeah, I thought about that as well. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that scene a lot. We're giving a lot of attention here to the festival, the uh, the opera. I would have thought that the Klingons would go for full contact opera. <laughs> by the right. way there's a bit of confusion here so you have an actor playing Kales at this festival did did anybody remember like I, I swear just like a couple of years ago did anybody remember that we have the real fake Kales living somewhere uh being worshipped i'm gonna say by some people probably derided as a fake by others but but he's there he exists yeah yeah i i actually didn't want to tell you this but um no. he's playing himself at, at the festival on chronos oh okay i tried so hard to get us tickets but they were sold out Duh. and then, uh, i could have gotten stop hub but man the price they were charging Ugh. For for just to see the maybe real yeah. Kalis. I mean, sure, closer than certainly closer than this guy, you know, with yeah. this thing on this place. Ugh. But you know, yeah. Man. I'm sorry, man. Maybe next year though. I maybe wish you hadn't year. told me. I wish you now now just now I'm gonna <laughs> I know. That. Yeah. I feel yeah. bad, but I okay. you know 
I just wanted you to know not everybody has forgotten. Okay. Uh, I did find myself wondering uh, as Alexander went out there <laughs> and started <laughs> trying to stab the guy with the battle, should maybe somebody have explained pantomime to him? Right. Well, did he not notice that they that they weren't going clang clang and that nobody was actually bleeding? But right. you know, he like he like he like seriously is like wailing on the guy. Yeah. And then follow up question: Should Alexander be bringing his own actual bladed weapons to the holodeck? Mm, right, right. To use holodeck weapons, yeah. Because like little you know, baby boy Alexander walks in and he's carrying his batlath, you know, almost as big as he is. Mm-hmm. And then and then um, you know, adult disguised Alexander whips out a knife. Yeah, <laughs> and the dwarf, and they're like they're like they're like real bladed weapons. And should anything happen, I mean, it, I don't think the computer is going to be able to stop that. I'm not sure how the mortality failsafe works yeah. in the holodeck, but my guess is if I bring my own gun from outside the holodeck <laughs> into the holodeck, the holodeck may be able to generate like some kind of force field or maybe a bulletproof vest or something like that. But if I'm bringing my own real weapons, mm-hmm. uh, next accident's not on the holodeck. It's on me. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Oh, man. Hey, uh, there was that scene with Kemtar telling Alexander one night about um, uh, how, how Alexander has an uncle who has mm-hmm. a lake house with a lake that is so <laughs> clear that you can see to the bottom. All I could think, so uh, I grew up in the South, you grew up in the South, I knew people who had lake houses, and that was the thing, you go for the weekend, you go to the lake house, and there's there's water skiing, and, and I'm just picturing like Klingons, are they, do they have cookouts, and do a couple of them crack open a tall boy while sitting on the porch, and they're listening to <laughs> Hank Williams, and this is, this is lake house life, and I'm trying to picture yeah. it on Kronos. It's not really just a Southern thing. In fact, um, fun story for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first lake house I was invited to, uh, Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Oh, oh, okay. You and I grew up in very different Souths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I, I knew nobody that had a lake house, dude. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, I like I like your idea though, because there's like a, I can see the uh, the Klingon dad out there. Yeah, uh, you know his hair flowing, right. no shirt, <laughs> right? Shorts right. just a little bit too short. Yeah. Uh, roasting up, um, well, not Targ. Well, I, maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, not Targ. That's no. a dog. Okay, yeah, I don't think they would roast the dog. I think they. I don't know what they'd be roasting, but yeah, I can see that whole thing with um, you know, kiss the cook and cling on yeah. on the apron. The Pippius, yeah. Pippius. They, they they got Pippius claw. That's what they're getting into. But they still have the tall boys. Uh, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> they, they, that's, that's what they're doing. And you're saying the Pippius is delivered in a box, right? <clears throat> And to call back anyway. One of the best things in this episode, we're, we're wrapping it up. We got to the end. We find the Duras sisters and, and, and you hear from, from the, uh, from them. Mm-hmm. This is the first we've heard of an assassination attempt. Too bad it didn't succeed. That look on Worf's face is so priceless. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a little bit. I mean, I kind of wanted him to be angry, but like, you know, I'm right here. I can hear you, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, it's perfect. So, Alexander follows his own path, then decides he followed the wrong path. So he backtracks, then tries to make himself follow a different path, which is wrong. Is that right? There's a topic that comes up as part of the theme of this episode that that we've discussed before about Worf, and that is Worf's personal investment in his version of Klingon culture, that mm-hmm. Worf has had to create this for himself. He's so invested in making sure that his kid learns about Klingon culture, but let us remember that Worf was raised on Earth by Russian Jews. I'm not saying that as a joke or, or anything. I'm just saying that his, we don't know how long, I mean, but but certainly into his adulthood and into the point that he could decide that he was going to join Starfleet, he spent the majority of his growing up years with the Rajinkos. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is kind of a great thing, but, but he has so separated himself from that culture yeah. and decided that he is going to be more Klingon than Klingon. Do you get the sense, though, that the Rajinkos raised Worf as a Russian Jew? Or do you think that he was like, that they just like let him let him be let him be. I, I yeah, I, I get the feeling that 
they they let him be, let him be, but they were probably the type of parents who who would have exposed him to any number of of cultures and influences and and it, it they whenever they've been on screen whenever they've been around him they seem like a family who's full of a lot of love mm-hmm. you know? yes i agree and, with and, that yeah yeah and 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 they would they would let him do whatever it is that he felt like uh was was in his heart which may mean deep dive studies into Klingon culture. Mm-hmm. But again, he's on Earth. He's not living on Kronos. He's not going to a Klingon school, at least that we know of, because we haven't talked about there being a Klingon school on Earth, um, like for expats to send their kids to, you know. Um, so it, it's just been very interesting to me that, you know, our window into Klingon culture is from the guy who was not raised on Kronos, did not go to Klingon schools as far as we know, and has sort of had to invent this for himself. Well, I mean, you say invent this for himself, but he certainly has studied. He certainly does know, I mean, what he knows. We don't, I mean, when we met Worf, he was, you know, on the bridge of the Enterprise. Mm. And then we have learned a little bit about his time with the Roshenkos and things like that. We don't know what he did in the middle, though, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend who I, I I don't know where she is now. I mean, she's in Israel. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, at one point she, yeah, yeah. At one point she felt like something was missing. And so she, like, started studying a lot more and basically ended up with – I don't – see, I don't remember the terminology. But basically she went to somebody who matches people um, and ended up with a guy who was fairly mm. orthodox. I don't know mm-hmm. if he was orthodox or if he was just much more observant than she had ever been in any time in her life as far as I knew. In fact, her parents, obviously also Jewish, were a little dismayed that she was leaving Massachusetts and going mm-hmm. to live – uh, going to live in Israel. Hmm. She, like, you know, whatever, at some point in her life decided that this um, religious and cultural identity was more important than anything that had come before. And so now that's what she is and that's what she does. And yeah. so it doesn't really strike me as that odd. I think it probably strikes, like, personally, it probably strikes you and me as strange for the same reasons that we talked about last week in Journey's End. It's like, I, I don't get it. I don't get the love of the land. I don't have the same sort of like, I don't have the same sort of um, uh, cultural upbringing uh, that those people have. Um, Those, 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 uh, those um, uh, tribe members, excuse me, in last week's episode, when I say those people, I'm sorry, because that's fraught with danger. I mean, the people that we were talking about in last week's episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a particular thing, right? That's like, well, I was born this and so I'm that, right? Right. Right. That I'm one day going to suddenly turn back to. And I'm not saying everybody does. I mean, certainly everybody does not. But it doesn't strike me as the weirdest thing for Worf to do just because I've known one or two people who've actually done something similar. No, no. I, what I think is interesting is that Worf, Worf has not very much like Spock, um, at least the majority of what we saw in Spock, particularly early Spock, um, is that he has every opportunity to to sort of find that balance that that he he's got these disparate influences on his life but what he does is tip the scale way in one direction you know it it should kind of be the perfect thing that he has a child with a woman who is part human part klingon worf is yeah he he is biologically fully klingon but he's being raised as a human for a good chunk of his life. So mm-hmm. you would hope, you would think that somebody like that would, um, you know, kind of have one foot in one world, one foot in the other and, and find a balance. But in an episode like this, we see that, that, that balance, at least for him, is very hard to come by. And, um, he is expressing his own difficulty with that by pushing his son in the direction that he thinks Alexander needs to be pushed. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up Journey's End because thematically the, this is really similar to what we discussed last week in Journey's End. And, um, man, you just can't help but feel like Worf didn't learn anything by watching that episode. 
Oh, I disagree. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, yeah. Worf changes a lot in this episode. I, I love the resolution that we have in this episode, but Worf starts out with Alexander where we were early on in Journey's End, which was, hey, this is what we expect out of Wesley. Okay, now Wesley's got to make a stand on his own and follow his own path. Well, but I mean, I, I think Worf is actually there in the prologue. I think Worf mm, assumes, mm. I mean, the way everybody assumed that Wesley was going to go off to Starfleet, I think Worf just sort of assumes that Alexander is going to go through the first, uh, what is it, uh, Rite of Ascension? Yeah, yeah. He's just going to do that because, mm -hmm. you know, he just assumes that he will. Mm -hmm. But when Alexander says, I'm not going to, Worf doesn't like come back and force him to sit down and say, yes, you are. He doesn't put the candle in his hand and like make him light the thing. When Alexander gets up and leaves, Worf blows out the candle. I, I honestly think this episode is, I think I'm still going to win Worf, not the worst father in the world, honestly. <laughs> okay. All right. Because here's the thing. So uh, Age of Ascension uh, seems similar to Confirmation or a Bar Mitzvah or a Bat Mitzvah. I understand yeah. a tiny bit more about Confirmation than I understand about a Bar Mitzvah or a Bat Mitzvah. No, uh, um, no pain sticks in any of those. <sighs> Everything growing up, there's pain. <laughs> I have, I've, I've not gone through confirmation. I've not had a bar mitzvah. Um, I've not had a bat mitzvah, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, I was baptized when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Yep, me too. And it was, it was like at an age where I actually chose. It wasn't like, you know, somebody like did the whole thing with the water on my forehead when I was like six months or something. Mm -hmm. um, I won't say that I was pressured into it, but I do know that it was expected. And I, I think honestly that I bowed to that expectation. I don't know whether Alexander is just willful or if Worf has actually raised a kid that's allowed to make his own decisions. Mm -hmm. But either way, Alexander's not going to bend on this. He might at some day, but, you know, the second he's presented with it, he doesn't just go along and say, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do because my dad says so. Um, Worf ends up raising a kid who is a diplomat, a Klingon, who thought that vengeance was bad. The killing mm -hmm. was bad, but the talking mm -hmm. and understanding uh, were better things to do, better than fighting and killing. Um, and then his father actually is able to say to the adult Alexander, the one who's apparently been beating himself up for however many years since he saw his father die. And obviously, so he's back from 40 years. Maybe he's been carrying that for 10 to 20 years because he was already an adult in whatever passes for a diplomatic corps for the Klingons at that point, right? Or the yeah, head of the yeah. House of Moog or whatever. And Warp says to him, when I die, I want to die an honorable death. And the only way that that is possible is for you to accept yourself as you are and stay true to what you believe. And he says the cause of uh, peace is a just cause. The struggle must continue. Mm -hmm. He's saying that to his son, right? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I honestly think that that is the Warp that is in the prologue as well. Hmm. I think he was just operating on the same assumption that we all operate on. My, look, I've got to... I got a family member who came out a few years ago and this family member was very worried about, you know, uh, what the family was going to think. And we didn't care. I mean, we care, but we didn't care. <laughs> it's not, yeah, you know, right, right, we weren't yeah. mad. We weren't upset or anything like that. And certainly, we, like, I think the assumption was that this person was straight. Then you find out they're not. And it's like, oh, funny. I assumed you were. Anyway, mm -hmm. let's go ahead and live the rest of our lives now. Right. Yeah. I think Worf starts this assuming that his son is going to be a warrior because that's what Klingons do. But when his son says, mm, no, Worf doesn't say, yes. Worf says, ah, OK, yeah. <laughs> kind of, I'm kind of bummed, but uh, yeah. all right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, uh, I, I think that's a good case for it. I, I'm still not going to say that Worf is not the worst father. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he, he and Sarah are right up there battling for that. But, See, here's the uh, thing, though. I really think you just don't like Worf, and I will be really glad for you when we go on to the next series of Star Trek, and oh, you don't have to worry about Worf just anymore, no ever, more Worf anymore, at all. Ever, oh, that's great. After yeah. Next Gen. Congratulations, that's, John. Oh. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that's how that goes. <laughs> there's, there's another big, uh, well, not a big one, but there's a, a thematic line here, though, that, that I love, and it's that scene where Kemtar is trying to force Klingon mythology on Alexander. Mm -hmm. And it's great uh, because there's Kemtar trying to explain the story of Kalas, and Alexander is doing what 
anyone with an inquisitive mind should do. It's like, well, well why? Why, why did that happen? Are you <laughs> nice. sure? Is that, you know, and, and yeah. Kemtar's reply is, is so awesome. It's such a, a great use of the wrong words. You should interpret them properly. Right. Is such a perfect illustration of everything wrong with a fundamentalist, and I use that with a, with a little F, a fundamentalist point of view of anything. So, yeah, I'm going to tell you this story. This story might be metaphor, and it's there for interpretation, and it's there for understanding and our study. Um, but you have to interpret it the way that I tell you to interpret it. Right. <laughs> it's, I love that scene. I love that scene so much. Yeah, I actually wrote down the exact quote. No more questions. These are our stories. It is important for a warrior to learn to interpret them properly. It's so, uh, it's, it's beautiful in its ugliness. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like so, right. yeah, it's, it's, it's really perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, as much in the past as we've talked about Star Trek presenting monocultures. And, and yeah, the, the Klingons is still a bit of that, but it was nice to meet the, the nerdy Klingons and the, the, the cleric Klingons. And we, we've met some different ones along the way. Um, mm -hmm. I really love the additional color we get in this episode by having a festival, by having music, a little more of their mythology. It, it actually served them really well. It, it serves the Klingons really well and our understanding of the Klingons really well. I loved that stuff. Um, I wondered if we learned something about what is at the heart of a Klingon warrior, though. And, and I don't say this to be flippant or funny. Is it fear? Kemtar says he knows Alexander was afraid during the attack on his father. Yeah, of course, because Kemtar knows what's in Alexander's heart because he is Alexander. And that would be scary for anyone, no matter what. But then Kemtar says, well, if you grow up to be a strong warrior yourself, then you never have to be afraid again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, that, that, that might be the thing that you say to a kid who's afraid to say, look, you'll, you'll be a, a grown up someday and you won't have to be afraid of these things. You, you'll get there. It'll be okay. But I also wondered in that moment, is Kemtar saying something that, that sort of speaks to other Klingons that maybe informs a little bit of the warrior obsession that Klingons have. These might be people who are dealing with fear. <laughs> These might be people who are dealing with some other stuff that they're trying to get out. And the only way they know how to get it out is to keep telling themselves that they are stronger. They are more powerful. They are more honorable than the next. And that's what allows them to get through day by day by day. With Alexander having disappeared, leaving Alexander right where he was. Hold on a moment. Did anything actually happen in this episode? Well, Ken, at the end of this episode, I, I like to think that Alexander learned a little something about himself and that Worf learned a little something about himself and maybe Kemtar learned a little something about himself, but now's our opportunity to ask each other if we learned a little something from this episode of Star Trek. So firstborn, Ken, mm -hmm. I'll ask you in the time-honored tradition, does the episode hold up? Yes. I would say especially if you watch Star Trek the way we watch Star Trek. Because obviously, this, this episode followed Journey's End, as it did when it was first broadcast. But I don't know how much time people actually spent you know, like studying it and thinking about it and saying, well, what am I going to say to everybody about it? <laughs> because mm -hmm, it was a right. TV show, and they might have been saying, what am I going to say about this show that came on after Star Trek as well? Um, if you watch it the way we do, though, and, and certainly the way a lot of Star Trek fans did, don't misunderstand, uh, this is an interesting companion piece to Journey's End. Um, last week we had a kid, Wesley, who realizes when he becomes a man that what he always thought he wanted to do wasn't actually what he wanted to do. And here we have an adult, Alexander, upset by the choices and decisions that he made as a child and, and bothered by the path that he didn't follow. And it's, 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 they're not the same episode. They're not the same story. It is amazing that this story was not written by Ronald D. Moore mm -hmm. because it's the kind of thing he would have written, except 
uh, there would have been at least twice as many words and probably like <laughs> 15 other characters. But I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting companion piece to that. Um, additionally, uh, James Sloyan, 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 mm-hmm. uh, the guy, uh, Kim yeah. Tar is great. And I love him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was fantastic in uh, the defector as well. And you want yeah. to tell everybody what that was about? <laughs> Oh, uh, I think that's the one where the uh, the Romulan guy defects, is, um, doesn't he? He defects. Oh, he defects. That he defects. Yeah. yeah. He Got was it. amazing in that episode. And he's really good in this episode, too. Not quite the same because he doesn't have the same. His part is not as important in this episode, but that was just an amazing mm-hmm. performance in that one. And this guy just shows up. It's interesting to me that what I remember him most from is the sitcom Oh, Madeline. Uh, which was the Madeline mm. Kahn sitcom, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, yeah. he wouldn't have been able to deliver these, like, you know, incredibly dramatic uh, uh, performances, I don't think, yeah. in a 30-minute sitcom. Um, I also like the fact that Alexander's time travel deception is totally undone by a stupid mistake. For some reason, a lot of times when people travel back in time, they also become super villains, unless they're doing it like in Groundhog Day, where it's just they've been there so many times before that they know all of the mistakes they could possibly make. But I love the fact yeah. that this was undone by his, like, just grabbing a knife, because there are lots of them around, just grabs a knife, and it's like, hey, that knife shouldn't be made for another 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> that was a mistake. Oops. Um, yeah. I love that some, the movie Somewhere in Time, it's mm. been out for over 40 years, so spoiler alert. One of my okay. favorites. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. But uh, it's undone by a penny. Yeah. Literally by a penny, which is great. Um, I, I, I kind of love the fact that the whole time travel thing, you're not necessarily a genius if you've traveled through time. You're just a guy who's traveled through time. So, I mean, yeah. even, even, the, even the foible in this, I thought, was uh, neat. So, yeah, I'd say across the board, it may be that I love it so much because it's coming to us in season seven, which has been uneven. But this feels to yeah. me like a good episode, um, no matter what season you put it at. Uh, what about you, sir, though? Do you think it holds up? No, I, I agree. I, I was going to say that this episode fits pretty much anywhere you could put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I'm not saying that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. It, it just is. It's just a solid slice of production on its own. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I really feel like this episode holds up. It was a really nice I, I change of pace from the poor episodes that we've had in season seven, but a really nice episode to see as a bookend to journey's end, uh, because they are thematically very similar. Um, I love the end of this episode, the very end, you know, you have Worf's realization of, he kind of finds his footing again to be able to say to Alexander, look, you can be, whatever you want to be, whoever you want to be. Um, that moment with him in the holodeck after Kemtar has gone was great. It was, it was, you could see the emotion in Michael Dorn's eyes. Yeah. It was really nice. And uh, speaking of James Sloyan and speaking of how good he was, he, he does a great job of playing Kemtar as a wholly separate character. Mm-hmm. Going back on the rewatch, it's nice to see moments where I, I I feel like it's the character playing that he knows something the other characters don't know, which is really cool to see. And there's a moment where James Loyan as Kim Tars, when you come back to the opening of season five and he's revealing all of this stuff to Worf. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because it's the discussion in the scene. But there's a moment where James Loyan as Kemtar looks so believably convincing as the grown-up Alexander, where you, you just buy it for a second mm. that, that this is, you know, this is how that character ages, and this is what he looks like at that time. Can I can I so, correct something really mm-hmm. quickly? Uh, just because sure. I, I you said the beginning of season five, it's the beginning of Act five. So oh, I, I'm, no, it's I'm okay. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. But if people are freaking out, cause I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, so, act five. Right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Okay. I, I shouldn't drink as much before I do a show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drinking yeah. during is fine because it doesn't usually catch oh, that's up with you until, until we're done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think it's terrific. It, it, it adds, it, it does what is hard to do for a lot of Star Trek episodes, which is that 
It tells a personal story, it adds and reveals something about the characters, but it also helps to continue to build the mythology of Star Trek. And that's cool. And we do that in an episode where there is very little Picard. He was working on Saturday Night Live at the time, so they had to get his scene shot and get him out of there. Um, <laughs> is that true? It is true. It is true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you needed Deanna. I really hate that we missed that scene. So if you have the Blu-rays, go back and watch that. Um but yeah, overall, it's just really strong. It, it really works. And um, even if you and I may not love Brian Bonsall's portrayal of Alexander, the story is strong enough. Everybody around him is strong enough that uh, that you kind of buy it. Well, his his portrayal didn't even stink in this episode. And I don't know if it's because he is getting older as an actor or if it's just mm. they finally gave him something cool to do. I don't know what yeah. that is, but I mean, because we've talked a million times, with the exception maybe of Jeremy Astor, we've talked a million times, mm -hmm. and there have been a few others too, but for the most part, kids on Star Trek is just terrible, and that's yeah. all the way back to the original series. Now, of course, we haven't gotten to the later episodes, so I can't talk about Jake and Nog or anything like that yet. Right, um, right. To this point, though, generally speaking, a child on Star Trek is just death for that episode, and um, yeah. and, and he was not bad in this episode. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't um, Haley Joel Osment at his height, but I mean, he's not, he, but he wasn't terrible. Mm -hmm. and I don't know what that was exactly, but even that part, even that part actually um, did not sink this episode and Lord knows Alexander sunk an episode or two. Yep. What about the, uh, what about the messages though? I think there's a lot um, and, and they may all kind of be related uh, they, they may all tie into each other a bit, but um, similar to last week, you know, there, there's this message that you, you don't need to be what is expected of you. And, and I would even add that to the the scene where uh, Kemtar is trying to force feed Klingon mythology onto Alexander, which is you don't need to believe what is expected of you. And he's, he's forcing this interpretation of this mythology on this kid. You know what? It's okay if the kid's a free thinker at some point, you know, you can come up with his own conclusions at some point. Right. Um, Trying to keep him from catching himself on fire, but otherwise. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that's actually a whole thing we didn't get into in the last segment, which is to say that, yeah, all of this is about Alexander finding his own voice and, and finding himself and being confident in who he is and having the support of his father to be who he is. There is a good case to be made to impart a, a, a culture, a history, uh, uh, an education on a child. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to be clear about that, right, too. Right, right, right. Um, but, but under the context of um, you ultimately are going to make decisions on your own, you know, uh, which is uh, the more valuable lesson here. Um, th there's a lesson for Worf here uh as well as about finding his own balance you know uh weighing out the 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 positives of his upbringing and and his proximity to humans and his absorption assimilation into human culture and and sort of like spock finding that balance in his own life being okay with it um i uh I, do you know uh, John Spencer? He's one of our listeners, and, and he and I were having a, a text conversation earlier. We were sharing stories about drinking tea. Yes, this is what we do. And he sent me he sent me a picture. He's drinking it out of a Star Trek mug, and he sent me a picture of the tag on the tea bag, and it had a quote from Lord Byron. There is pleasure in the pathless woods. And he said, there you go. There, there's the message for this episode. It's letting Alexander find the pleasure of walking down a path that, that isn't a path, that isn't predetermined for him. Hmm. So I, I really like that. And thank you for that, John. Uh, gosh, what else? Uh, Alexander, he, he expresses a, a great line to Kimtar. He says, it doesn't matter what I look like. Mm -hmm. Kimtar says, you know, you to be among people who, who look like yourself. Alexander says, it doesn't matter what I look like. And Kimtar comes back with... The only way you will feel like you will truly belong is to go and live with your own kind, which I'm glad they put that in there because it's the most non-Star Trek message there is. <laughs> and, and it's so nice to put that counterpoint in there against what Alexander is saying. 
So, look, I, I, I could go on and on. I, I feel like there are so many messages in this episode. And, and you, you know, the one for Kim Tar is you can't change your past. You, you need to be okay with your past and be okay with who you are. Yeah. Um, what, what else? What else? Oh, well, I mean, just a few pat ones. I mean, as you said, you can't change the past. I would I'd go a tiny bit deeper and say dwelling on the past or being consumed by the past doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm can't change anything. I mean, because yeah. Alexander, you know, that thing happened and he blamed himself. And so one assumes he spent, we don't know how many years after that, con- yeah. concocting this time travel idea, right? Right. And then coming yeah, back and yeah. doing that. And by the way, what does he do now? What does he do now, by the way? Yeah. What, what, does, he, what yeah. does he do now? Because he's not actually consigliere to the house of Moog. He's just got the ring, right? Which he could have stolen from the future, you know, once he lost control of the house of Moog. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know his father died or whatever. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe maybe being consumed by the past is, is not the best thing in the world. Parents may actually understand more than you think they do, and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I guess the last one is sort of similar to what you were saying. You do you, you know, not what someone mm-hmm. else wants, uh, which ties in again to um, uh, what we talked about last week with Journey's End. It's not you know what you think somebody else wants. It's you know what you ultimately want and then of course if you tie that back into last week also feel free to reconsider you know yeah, yeah. Right. right i i always wanted to be an astronaut and you're like yeah i don't want to be an astronaut okay that's fine you know you do you mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry now roddenberry does all kinds of stuff we have some fabulous products and we also have some podcasts two or three or four, depending on which week you catch us. You can check out this show and Women at Warp and Priority One, all at podcast.roddenberry.com. And if you want to help support this show, you can do that at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week... Bloodlines. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I think Warp should have left with older Alexander. They could fly around the galaxy righting wrongs, helping people out. It is Star Trek meets Highway to Heaven. Get the network on the phone. And transmission.